0: Welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. I just want to say thank you for joining us. It's my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. There were two brothers who were staying overnight at their grandparents' house for the weekend. And the night before they went to bed, they got down on their knees in their room and they started to pray. And the younger one started to pray, but as he prayed, he was shouting, God, you know my birthday is next week, and all I really want is that red bicycle I saw in the store today. To which his older brother said, you realize God isn't deaf, right? He said, yeah, I know, but Grandma is. (laughs) Now, why do I say that? Because I think there's probably more truth in that story than what we care to admit. And although it's humorous to think about, is that really how we think about God? And I would contend there are people who think that God is a deaf grandparent that we literally have to yell and scream and beg to get what we want, or he's so oblivious or so aloof that there's no way that he could possibly even care about me. But, but there's a deeper question that I want to ask about that story that I think is bringing something very to our attention. That little boy didn't really believe in the power of prayer, did he? <laughs> He he really didn't believe in a God who truly loves him, who truly cares for him, who truly provides everything for him. He thought that I've got to go through grandma if I really want to get what I want, but this prayer is just kind of a little courtesy that I'm going to do. And I think that's, if we're being real honest, that's sometimes how we think about prayer, isn't it? Or maybe some people in our world think about prayer. Church, do you understand that God is truly our provider of everything? And, And that not only is he not a distant, aloof grandparent, he knows you deeply. He loves you passionately. And before the words are even on our lips, he knows exactly what we need, and his desire is for us to have that. So let's go to that wonderful father in prayer right now. God, I thank you that you are a loving father. I thank you that you not only know every person in this room by name, you created them, you planned and purposed them to be in this moment, and you know every single thing That we need. God, you know our desires. You know our dreams. You know our wishes, our hopes. You know our hurts. You know our pains. And God, I come before you on behalf of this wonderful congregation that I get to pastor, and I ask that you would forgive us for the times that we doubt that. And for the times where we think we need to do it on our own strength or that we need to kind of manipulate to try to get what we want other people, God, you provide everything. And I pray that we would rest in that comfort and in that truth. We ask these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you're a guest here today, we want to welcome you to being part of our series, Teach Us to Pray. For those of you watching online or listening to our podcast, we're so glad you're joining us. I'd love to see you in the room sometime. If you live here in the Yankton area, man, there's a, you're missing out on these amazing people that are in this room. We want to have you in this room. If you don't live in the Yankton area, I would highly encourage you to find a church somewhere in your area that you can connect with to be part of the body of Christ. But we've been in this series called Teach Us How to Pray. And it's based on Luke 11 where the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And as a result of that, he taught us the Lord's Prayer. And we said that once we truly understand prayer, it changes everything. And so if you've missed it or or you're you're a guest, to kind of catch you up previously on Teach Us to Pray the last couple weeks, um, you can go back to our website, yankton.church. You can go to our YouTube channel. We also have our podcast as well. Highly encourage you to go back and listen to that. If there's someone who you've been inviting to come and they're not quite ready to set foot in the door yet, send them the link to the video and say, just watch this as a great little foot in the door. But the first week we talked about how we see prayer matters. And I gave you some visuals about what we sometimes think about prayer and somehow we can kind of flip those. I encourage you to go back and watch that. The second week, we started unpacking this Lord's Prayer that we're going through throughout this series. And that first line, it's going to be on the screen behind me. I'd like us to pray this again out loud together. The first part of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Church, do you know how much it makes God dance when he hears you guys pray that? It just gave me goose pimples in this room. Can you imagine what it did for the Father in heaven when we do that? See, Jesus addressed God as Father. And our problem is sometimes we don't have a very good view of our earthly father, do we? But we know what our heavenly father should be. We are no longer slaves. Jesus reminded the nation of Israel, they're no longer slaves. They're children of God. And Jesus Christ has made a way for us to be his children. And we are worthy of that. And last week, we did the second line to the Lord's Prayer. Again, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Let's pray this to God again out loud together. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And T. Wright said about that prayer it's not a prayer of resignation, but it's a risky, crazy prayer where we sign on to the work of his kingdom. And permit me to add, not mine. Because if I'm living for my kingdom, I'm living for something pretty temporal, aren't I? But when we're living for God's kingdom, it's something eternal. And we talked about the life of Joseph. And throughout this series, we're going to be talking about different people and different prayers that they had. And God had given Joseph a dream, but it didn't exactly go the way Joseph thought it would. But Joseph stayed faithful to the vision God gave him, no matter the circumstances. And he played a beautiful melody where God had placed him, even though it wasn't where he thought it should be. And so today, we're going to go to the next line in Lord's Prayer. And church, I'm just going to say, this is going to be one of the key pivot points of not only this series, but our entire prayer life. Let's pray this next line out loud together. Give us this day our daily bread. When it comes to prayer, the number one thing that comes out of prayer is what we need to God. And in fact, I'd say a lot of our prayers probably are, God, I need this. God, help me with this. God, I have a prayer for that. And I want to say this again. God wants to hear those things. That's not a bad thing. See, we all have needs in this room. We all have physical needs. We all have emotional needs. We have financial needs. We have relational needs. And we have spiritual needs. And I'm going to say it one more time. It is not wrong to ask God for your needs. God has a deep concern and a desire for you. He wants to hear those requests. He wants to hear those dreams. But here's the problem. Sometimes we get there too soon. We come before God and we rush to, hey, God, this is what I need, this is what I want. But before we do that, and this is what this prayer teaches us, we need to stop and we need to pause. And I love how N.T. Wright writes this in this book that we've talked about called The Lord's and His Prayer. This is what Wright says. We come to prayer aware of our urgent needs, or at least our wants. It's tempting to race through the Lord's Prayer as far as on earth as it is in heaven so that we can take a deep breath and say, now look here, when it comes to daily bread, there are some things I simply must have. And then we go off into a shopping list to God. To do this, of course, is to let greed get in the way of grace. So there's a tension there. God wants to hear our needs. He wants to hear our desires. We tend to rush into those. So where's the balance between that? So if you've got your note sheets, I want you to take these out. This is our, um, our information sheet. On the back of it, it's blank. There's some things that I want you to write down about today, what we're going to be going through. And here's the main focus of it. How should we pray for our needs? Not should we pray for our needs. We, we've already established God wants to hear our needs. But how we pray for our needs really matters because it shows our perspective. So in your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'd love to get you one. It's also YouVersion, it's a free app available on any smartphone or device. You can download it right now. But as you're going to 1 Kings 17, I want to set this up for you. There was a prophet in the nation of Israel by the name of Elijah. And Elijah went before the king Ahab. King Ahab was not a godly king. King Ahab was very self-centered and did a lot of horrible things. And because of his disobedience towards God, Elijah had to confront the king. And God told Elijah, go before the king and tell him, there will no longer be rain in the land until I say so. Because God needs to get your attention. As you can imagine, King Ahab wasn't really excited to receive that news, and so Elijah did the very wise thing, and he took off out of there and he went and hid from the king, because the king wanted to kill him. He wasn't very happy with him. But if you remember, Elijah had said, "There's not going to be rain in the land, there's going to be drought, there's going to be famine." That not only impacted the king and his palace, and impacted the entire nation, including Elijah. But God did something very interesting with Elijah, and this is so important when it comes to praying about our needs and understanding it. God told Elijah where to go, and he promised that he would provide for Elijah. So in 1 Kings 17, I'm going to be in the sixth verse. Look at what God did for Elijah. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. An amazing miracle. In this time of famine, in this time of drought, God brought Elijah, the birds from the air brought Elijah bread in the morning and at night. And there was a mountain stream, a brook that was there that Elijah would use to drink from. Now, what does that mean? And this is something very important. We've got to back up to understand what's really going on there. And, and here's what I want to give you. And I'll give you this point. You can write it down. It'll be on the screen behind me. God provides what I need. Do you believe that, Church? God provides what I need. I want you to look at somebody and say, God provides what I need. Here's what was going on there. God said, Elijah, go to this mountain. I'm going to provide what you need. This is what it reminded Elijah of and the entire nation of Israel and the rest of us that even today can look back and see. See, when God called the nation of Israel out of Egypt, before he sent them to the promised land, God said, listen, I'm going to provide for your needs. I am your provider, and I'm going to show you this in a very curious way. God did something very curious. Every morning when the Israelites would wake up, there would be this bread all over the ground. They had no idea what it was, so they called it manna. Manna actually means, what is it? They don't know what it is, but it was their daily bread that God provided every single day for them. And see, here's the thing. When Elisha was brought this bread by the ravens, it was a hearkening back to those days because God wanted to teach his people, I am your provider. I will provide for you every day just like I did the manna. That's why when we pray the Lord's Prayer and Jesus says, Give us this day our what? That's hearkening back to those days of the Israelites in the Exodus when God provided for us. See, God's going to provide what I need. Even before I ask Him, God provides what I need. Did you know that none of us ask God for oxygen? (laughs) He just gave it to us. If He took it away, it would be kind of bad, wouldn't it? But He still gives it to us. Our heart beats whether we think about it or not, doesn't it? Because God provides that for us. God provides what I need. He's the source of all things. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Look at the birds of the air. Now, when Jesus said that the people in his audience thought back to Elijah and how the birds provided food for Elijah, they do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here's the line I don't want you to miss, church. Are you not much more valuable than they Church, God is not a deaf grandparent that's out of touch. God cares deeply about you. And of all the things in creation, of all the animals, of all the planets and the stars, he cares mostly about his children, you and I. God wants us to know that he is the provider. That's why every day when the Israelites got up, there was this manna that was provided for them. That's why when the nation of Israel turned their back on him, God said, it's not going to rain, and I'm going to provide Elisha every day with this food so Elisha can build that faith. And don't miss this church. Every single person in this room today needs to understand, God is your provider. Amazon Prime is not my provider. Hy-Vee is not my provider. Walmart is not my provider. God is my provider. But we can fall into that trap, and that's one of the biggest dangers of our culture today that we think that way, but yet God is still our provider. Well, after a period of time for Elijah, the brook dried up. And it's interesting, Elijah didn't freak out about that like many of us might have would, because God gave Elijah direction. It's so interesting. In verse 8, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. Now I want to stop there for a second. You've heard me say this before. When you come along with a word in the Bible and you're not sure how to pronounce it, what do we do, Church. Say it with confidence, because nobody else knows how to say it either, okay? So just say it with confidence. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. See, Elijah, instead of the birds bringing you food, now a widow is going to provide food for you. That might not mean to us much to us here in the 21st century, because, again, we've got Hy-Vee, Amazon Prime, food stamps. Back in that day, if you were a widow, you were the poorest of the poor. See, women weren't allowed to work in that culture. So the only way a woman could be provided for is if she had a husband. If her husband dies, guess what? She's at the mercy of everyone else to provide for her. So why would God tell Elisha to go to this town and oh, by the way, this poorest of the poor widow is gonna provide for you. Why would he do that? And it's so glad that you asked that because here's what happens. Elisha goes to the town. He goes to the town gate, and he sees a widow, and he asks her for food. And verse 12 is so important to understand, and this is what the widow says. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make my meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Church, Can I just say, this is probably the most impactful statement on prayer that you can see. And it's even in this, our culture today, even though the widow said it back in Elijah's time, we could hear this today. See that God that you trust in? He doesn't care about me. If he did, why wouldn't he provide for me and my son? This drought, our economy's in the toilet, my husband obviously died. She didn't say that, but it's implied Me and my son, this is all we have, and if we're going to take this and eat it, and then we're going to die. Where's your God, Elijah? Where's your God? That sounds like some prayers maybe you've prayed before, or maybe here in our culture today. Listen to what Elisha replies in verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Man, we could just stop right there, right? Don't be afraid. God is your provider, but listen to what he says. Go home and do as you said, But first, this is so important, church, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. I just need to unpack what's going on here so you don't miss it. This is a widow who's the poorest of the poor. All she has is a little flour olive oil. She's making her last meal so she and her son can eat it, and then they have no food. The only thing they have to face after that is certain death. This is all I have, Elisha. And Elisha says to her, hey, before you do that, why don't you make me a little bread and, and feed me first? <laughs> what? <laughs> Doesn't that sound kind of arrogant? That sound, like, are you kidding me, Elisha? Now, why would God do that? And this is why, church, and here's the second thing you need to understand. When you're praying about something you need, so you want to write this down. God uses what I have. See, Elisha wanted to help this widow understand, God uses what I have. What did this widow have? She just had a little bit of flour and a little bit of olive oil. And Elisha said to her, through the Spirit of God, she said, Listen, before you use what you have, just give a little bit to me, and then use what you already have. See, bring the little that you have and see what God can do it. You know the danger that we see, and the widow probably saw, but it's even in our own lives, isn't it? But God, I don't have enough. God, I want more. And let's just keep it at the widow. We don't even make it personal for this. The widow says, listen, this is all I have, God. If I use this, I won't have any more. But God says, what? I'm going to use what you have first. Give me what you have first. Let me use what you have first and then see what I can do. Proverbs 30, verse 8. This is what... Solomon writes, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my what church? Daily bread. bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. When it comes to what we have, do we appreciate what we have? Or are we too busy looking at what we don't have or what we could have? And are we willing to let God use what we have first before we start looking at whatever happens? See, going back to the manna, and this is such an important thing to understand. I said it was kind of a miracle. The manna would come every morning. The Israelites would come and gather it. But there's two very interesting things about manna that I don't want you to miss that's important to what's happening right here about God says, use what I have. The manna would come every day. God told the nation of Israel, go out and collect the manna, but here's the thing you need to understand about the manna. It will only last one day. How long will it last, church? Because you know what's going to happen tomorrow? It's going to show up again. Now, God said this to Moses. If you keep the manna for yourself and you want to keep it for the next day, you won't be able to use it. And of course, just like children, they're like, oh, I don't believe that. I'm going to keep some for me because I want to make sure I have enough. They got up in the morning. It was moldy. It was crusty. It was covered in worms. Why? Because God says, I'm going to give you enough for what? One One day. And the next day you're gonna have more. You know why? Because God uses what I have. God gives me, and we're gonna use what I have. The second thing that's very interesting about manna, that God said, listen, six days a week, I'm gonna provide manna for you. How many days? You know why? Because the seventh day was the Sabbath. So God said, this is what I'm gonna do. On the sixth day, I'm gonna give you double, okay? I'm gonna give you double, why? Because the Sabbath is mine. You're not going to go out and gather manna on the Sabbath. That's my day. So I'm going to give you double on the sixth day. You keep the double so you eat the extra on the seventh day. You with me on this? And just like children, the nation of Israel says, Wow, I don't believe that. So some people didn't go out and collect manna. The double, they only get enough for that day. They wake up on the Sabbath and look around and they go, where's the manna, God? Come on, you told me. And God said, listen, you didn't obey me, did you? I'm going to give you what you need for how many days? One day. And on the Sabbath, I'm going to give you double because the Sabbath is mine. What's God teaching the nation of Israel? Can I push on that a little further? It's the same thing he wants to teach you and I today. I am the provider of everything. I will give you what you need every day. Do you believe that, church? Now, be careful before you answer too quickly. Because if you're worried about your finances right now, you don't really believe that. God will provide everything you need. Oh, and by the way, on the Sabbath, if you honor my Sabbath, if you take a day and you rest for that day, I'm going to bless that. Do you know the two greatest sins in the American church today? We violate our tithe, and we violate God's Sabbath. God says, the first is mine. You bring me the first. You bring me the 10%, and I'm going to take that 90 and I'm going to bless the rest of the 90 And oh, by the way, on Sunday... That's my day. You rest, and you come, and you worship me in the house of God. God taught the Israelites every day for 40 years with the man to understand, trust me with what I have, use what you have, rest on the Sabbath, and you'll be okay. And yet we have so many people in our country who are exhausted. We have so many people in our country who are worried and anxious, and we wonder why. Did you know, and I did this statistic right before I came here today, so I get the most accurate, 2019, the Average, the average follower of Jesus Christ ties 2.5% of their income to the church. These are the people who say, I'm committed to Christ, I'm committed to following Jesus Christ, but only 2.5% I'm gonna to return to God because I'm gonna keep the rest for me. And we wonder why our country's in trouble. Church, do you imagine what would happen if I'm just saying just the people who say they're followers of Jesus Christ said, I'm gonna take God's word seriously, I'm gonna believe God's my provider, I'm gonna trust Him for what I have. I'm going to live on 90%, and the other 10%, I'm going to return to God. I just gave you the number. That would be a 7.5% increase in all the church giving. Do you know what a church in our country, just our country, could do with 7.5%? Global poverty would be wiped out like that. We're the richest country on earth. Just imagine if God's church took that principle seriously. And I know there's always pushback in that, so I always have to personalize it, because I love you with all my heart. It's not about me. It's not about... like. It's not about your money. It's about your heart. And here's what I I want to tell you. When Elaine and I made the decision that we're going to say, listen, the first 10% belongs to God. We're going to take the 90% we're going to live on that. The problem wasn't the 10%. The problem was the 90%. (laughs) See, back in 2009, so what's that, almost 13 years ago, Elaine and I have faithfully tithed since that time. We made that decision. We said, okay, God, 10%. I don't care if it's $100, $1,000, $10,000, $100,000. The first 10%, we're going to return to you, and we're going to live on 90%. You know the problem was? We weren't doing a very good job managing the 90% God gave us. It wasn't the 10% that we were returning to God. It was saying that 90%, man, I'm having trouble, God, because I need a little bit more. God, I just don't quite have enough. Do you see the heart issue there? That's why tithing's got nothing to do with money. It's got everything to do with your heart. Do you really trust God that's gonna provide you? Do you believe that He's going to give you what you provide and use what you already have? And I'll say it again I've never met a person yet, 44 years of living, I might meet him sometime, who has been faithfully returning to God their 10% and has been struggling financially. Please don't hear that as, oh, I'll give to God and I get. That's not what I said. What I said is, God knows your heart. <laughs> And he says, are you going to trust me with the 90%? When Elaine and I do our budgets, and then I'm going to move on. Um, I, I, I'm the one that does the budget in our house, and we sit down. And one of the things that we started doing, because we'll sit down and talk about it once we have everything figured out. It's pretty simple, right? This is the money coming in. This is the money coming out. This is what we got left. You guys, it's pretty simple, right? So we sit down, and we go through that. We always start with what we have first. And I'll even try to be intentional to say to Elaine, look at what God's given us. Isn't this awesome? Isn't this great? And then we go look at all the ways that money's going to get spent. <laughs> that's the discouraging part, right? Amen? But, but start there first and say, God, I'm going to trust you with that 10%. That's what God tried to teach us with manna, and that's what he's trying to teach this widow. God uses what I have. Well, now we're going to go back to Elijah and the widow in case you forgot about that. A- and remember this Elijah makes this very arrogant statement to this widow. He says, listen, I know, I know you're making your last meal for you and your son to eat, and then you're going to die, but before you do that, will you just make me a little bit of bread? Why would she listen to him? Why would she do that? That's kind of confusing, isn't it? And I'm just going to personalize it. Why would you listen to what I just said? Really, pastor? Okay, my income, I have to take 10% and return that to God and live on 90%. Why would you do it? And I'd say it's the same answer that Elisha gave this widow. Look at what he says in verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Can I just permit me to add? Not Elisha, not Jeff Todd. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elisha told her. So there was food every day for Elisha and for the woman and her family. If you got your notes... When it comes to praying about our needs, we're going to just review what we said before. God provides what I need. God uses what I have. Here's the third one. You want to write this down? God does what I can't. And I don't want to over-spiritualize this. This widow, to make this decision to do this, was a tremendous act of faith. For me to tithe 10% is not a tremendous act of faith. I don't risk starving to death, and my kids don't risk starving to death. This widow put her faith in that, and she did as Elijah told her to, and it's obedience, and God provided food. God takes our natural and provides his supernatural into it. He did it with the widow and the flower. He did it with Jesus and the two, the, the two fish and the five loaves of bread, and I guarantee you he can do it in your life. He will do what I can't, but here's the problem do we really believe that? (laughs) Because what if the widow said, okay, Elijah, sure, I believe you, but I'm still going to keep it for my own. Do you think it would have been the same result for her? I don't think so. Because God can use what I can't. God can use what I can't. But that wasn't the end for Elijah and the widow. And here's the point. I don't want you to miss this, church. See, in the midst of this miracle... Every day, think about this, there hasn't been rain on the land. It had been over three years by this point. And every day, Elisha was staying with this widow. There'd be flour and oil. They have no idea how. God miraculously provides flour and oil, flour and oil, every day. That's a pretty cool miracle, isn't it? That'd be enough to say, wow, praise God, isn't that awesome? But the widow didn't. You know why? Because something very personal happened to the widow. Remember her son, the one she thought was going to starve to death? He got his physical needs met. He kept eating food. But her son died. In the midst of this miracle, her son died. And she goes to Elisha in verse 18. And man, listen to this statement. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? See, that woman was saved by her son, by daily food provided. And now this, and church, again, I'm going to say this again. This is, a, our world says this all the time. What kind of God allows that? Yeah, God provided a miracle for my food, but my son dies anyway. If you can provide a miracle, God, why can't you help all the starving children in Africa? God, why can't you say that? If you're really God, why would you do that? And Elijah, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this hurt, prays one of the most painful prayers in all of scripture. If you go to verse 20, then Elisha Cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, you have brought this tragedy, even on this widow I'm staying with, by causing her son to die. God, why would you do that? So here's what I want you to understand, church God provides what I need, God uses what I have, God does what I can't. But here's the last one, and this is so important when it comes to praying for our needs God cares where I turn. Can I just put it to you like this? God is okay with your doubt. Elisha prayed a prayer that sounded kind of doubting, didn't it? Lord God, I, you brought this tragedy and this widow I'm staying with by causing your son to die. God is okay with my doubt. God is okay with me not knowing how this is going to happen as long as I keep turning to him. Church, can I ask you a personal question? Where do you turn when your world turns upside down? Do you turn to fear Do you turn to doubt? Do you turn to anger? Do you turn to blaming? Or do you turn to the one who knows you deeply, who loves you deeply, who provides everything I need, who uses what I have, who does what I can't? Is that who we turn to? Because again, we live in a fallen, broken world. Children die every day. People still starve. Sometimes our homes get repossessed, but God not only cares about that, He cares about and given us a way to restore our broken world. Look what Elisha does in verse 21. Then Elisha stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elisha's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Everybody look right here. God is still in the miracle business today. I don't care what your situation is, my God can bring it back from the dead because he can do it with Elisha, he can do it here. But don't miss what was going on here. Elisha was begging God for a miracle. Anybody ever begged God for a miracle before? I know I have. But it wasn't on his behalf. God begged. Elisha begged God for a miracle on behalf of this widow. And this is what I'm saying. He didn't owe this woman anything, but yet he cared deeply for her. So my question to you is, if you aren't seeing miracles in your life today, number one, are you asking for them? And number two, are you asking for others or for yourself? Because you see what God honors? He says, when you cry out on behalf of this widow, I brought him back from the dead. And church, look at what happens at verse 24. And if you've missed this, come back because this is the point that I want you to understand. Verse 24, the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of God is from your mouth is truth. We live in a world today just like this widow who rejects prayer who sees prayer as a fantasy or as a wish. But I'm telling you, church, in the same way that God changed this woman's heart. Notice it wasn't the miracle of the flower and the oil that changed this woman's heart. And it wasn't even the fact that her son got raised from the dead. It was because of what Elijah prayed. And she saw his prayer and his faith. So one more time. How should we pray for our needs? God cares deeply He wants us to come on behalf of them. I'm going to say it again. We all have needs. In this room today, those of you watching online, you have physical needs. Some of you have medical needs. You have emotional needs. You have financial needs. You have relational needs. You have spiritual needs. And it's not wrong to ask God for those needs. He is the provider of all things. The problem is we get there too soon. And we need to understand all we need is Him. And in the same way that this widow's son died and was brought back to life, my God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world, and he died for you, and he died for me, and he died for every man, woman, and child you will ever see. And if that doesn't break your heart, you need to check your heart. Why do I get up here every Sunday and preach my guts out? Why do I get up every day and do what I do? Because my God saved me. And he's given me everything I need. Why do I happily, and Elaine and I are probably at the, like 10, 11% at this point with our tithe. And I'm not saying that to brag, but why do I do that? Not because I'm the pastor, because I'm supposed to do it. Because God's given me everything. Why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I trust him with my 90% and say, okay, God, I believe you. I have that faith. There's been plenty of times in the history of this church where I've looked at our giving and I said, God, I don't know how we're going to do this. Can I tell you something after five years? Every single time, God's provided for that. And that is a blessing for that. So if you're sitting here today and you think, oh, all he wants is my money, keep it. Just, just, just keep it. Don't worry about it, okay? I'm just telling you, this is what my God does, and it breaks my heart. See, God provides what I need. All I need is him. Do I trust him really? Really? God uses what I have. Stop looking what you don't have and start trusting him with what you do have. And those two things we talked about, just like the manna taught the Israelites, just like Elisha was teaching, it's our tithe and our Sabbath. Do you believe that you're going to have just as much tomorrow, that God will provide for you tomorrow, so you don't have to worry about tomorrow, you just worry about today? And will you honor God's Sabbath and said, I'm going to keep it holy? That's what God was teaching us with manna, and he wants us to learn the same thing today. And if the church in America were to get those two things right, you want to talk about changing our country? Let's just get those two things right. God's church would change this world. God does what I can't. The problem is I like to be in control. <laughs> God, I want to tell you how the miracle should go. God, let me, let me direct you because I know what's best. God knows what's best. The fact is we can only control our actions And he's still a God that does miracles every day. But this last thing is so important, church. God cares where I turn. Trials are still going to come in your life. I wish I could say it otherwise, but I can't be an honest minister of the gospel and tell you your life by following Jesus is going to be perfect in roses. Sometimes people still die. Even in the midst of miracles, sometimes people still die. Even Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, our Savior, prayed this prayer to God. If there's any other way. God, is there any other way? Not my will, but your will be done. Church, there's still trials in life, but where are you going to turn? God is okay with your doubts as long as you keep turning to him. But here's the thing I want to ask you. When was the last time you begged God for a miracle on behalf of someone else? Because God is still in the miracle business. Let's pray this prayer one more time, this line that Jesus taught us to pray. And I want us to pray this out loud together. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Give us this day our daily bread. Just like God provided manna in the wilderness for the Israelites during the Exodus. Just like God used the ravens to bring Elisha the food. Just like God took that widow's flour and oil and that little bit she had and gave it into supply. Just like my Jesus took the loaves and the fish and multiplied them. God can still do that in our lives today. God is our deepest need. He's the only thing we need. Let's just start there. And and I'm gonna say it again. It's okay to be specific about your need. If you have a need right now, that you're holding on to, please write it on your connection card. Let's pray about that. If you're watching online, hit that prayer button. We want your specific needs. We want to pray that to God. Absolutely. But here's the thing. Turn my eyes from my needs to the needs of others. And if you're here and you're part of our church and you say, listen, I want help with that pastor, talk to me. Because we get requests all the time for prayers and people that you can pray for and needs that you can have. Um, we're going to have a, a, a meal here following our gathering, the first Sunday meal. And, and I'm going to just put out this challenge to you. If, if you're here today, I would encourage you to sit by somebody you don't know. And I would encourage you to share with them something or listen to them some maybe need that they have. And maybe, maybe to even today while we're eating together, maybe you can take that time to pray for that need. Maybe you could go to God on their behalf and ask them for a miracle. Do you know that could happen in this room before we even leave here today? Do you believe that? I sure do. Because God can provide that. As we close today, um, we're going to take communion together. And I think it's so fitting (laughs) to do communion today um, because the final representation of our daily bread, of that manna, of that word from Elisha, was what Jesus did when he provided communion for us. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I love what N.T. Wright says about the Lord's Prayer. And it talks about communion. This is what he says. If the Lord's Prayer is the prayer which summoned Jesus' own life work, enabling his followers to breathe in his life and to love and to make it their own, communion is the symbol which did the same thing, pointing particularly to his dying and rising. But don't miss this, church. Communion is also a place, above all, where we can come with our own physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual needs and lay them before God to whom all desires are known. Did you know that when you come for communion, that you can lay your wants and needs at God's heart too? Finally, communion is the place where, precisely as the people of Christ, we have the responsibility to come on behalf of those in desperate need including those of hunger. Jesus celebrated the kingdom by sharing his feast with all sorts of people, and so should we. So when we come and we take communion, and how this is going to work at Celebrate Church, we have open communion. What that means is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're welcome to come and participate in communion. Um, after I pray, I'm going to invite you to come up and take it. I'm encourage you to take it back to your chairs, and we'll take it together once you get back there. That's a little kit you got to peel off the label and get in the juice, but we'll get to that part. But what I'm saying that is as we're taking this communion together today, I want you to think about that phrase, our daily bread. And what Jesus did when he said on that night how he was betrayed and what the gift that it was for God to say, our gift of salvation, our one true need is his salvation in our life. So let's pray. God, you provide everything that we need. And I need to ask again that you would forgive us for when we come before you, and we ask too quickly for those needs. God, you know what we ha- need before we, you even ask for it. In the same way that the children of Israel got that manna every day, God, we have life, we have breath, we have hope. God, I thank you that you use what we, you have already given us. Forgive us when we look to what we don't have and help us to appreciate all that we do have. God, when we go to our checkbooks or we go to our our budgets or whatever we look at, instead of looking at all the expenses that are going out, God, help us to appreciate what you've given us already. And even if we don't see maybe how that's going to line up sometimes, we're going to trust that you can do what we can't. God, forgive us because we're a country that trusts in our stock markets and our 401ks, and you've already shown us that that's a terrible idea. So how about instead we start trusting in your kingdom? And we start building our treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. And we believe that you can do what we can. And God, we know we still live in a fallen and broken world. Jesus, although you've had victory on the cross, people still die. People still get cancer. And in this time in between of your victory on the cross and when you come again, there's going to be hurt in the world. Even in the midst of miracle, there can be a pain. But God, I pray that we would turn to you. You're okay with our doubts as long as we keep turning those doubts right towards you. And we don't allow the enemy to have a foothold in our lives. As we're closing here, I don't know where this message is landing for each of you. So I'm just going to give you a few moments of just quiet with God. And if you're watching online or listening to our podcast, this is your time to talk to your father. What's a need that you have? What's something you need to trust him with? Let's just take some time to think through that. God, this is a holy moment in this room, and I feel your spirit just doing a lot of things right now, so I, I thank you for that. And we never want to cut that short, but, but God, I, I just pray that as we come together as your body and we receive the gift of communion that you taught us, Lord, that we would remember that. And, and God, if there's somebody on that needs a miracle today, that we would go on, on your behalf to them, and we would beg you for that. So we thank you and we praise you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 10:30 a.m. at 310 Walnut Street. You can also check out more content on our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel at Celebrate Yankton. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it and share with others. God bless.